Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my guest, oh, we talked about so much. We talked about yoga. We talked about the power dynamics of AI and how important it is that people are educated about the AI. And we talked about bias. We talked about diversity and whether things have changed in different generations. This is an incredible woman. And you're going to love this episode. A leader in sales and has got lots of experience about scale scaling up an organization, what's required, the importance of of sales managers. My next guest is Chief Operating Officer at decision intelligence company Peak, a SoftBank-funded scale-up. She was rated the top 10 sales leader in the UK and has experience building successful high-growth SaaS businesses. She is an active contributor to discussions about leadership, vulnerability, SaaS metrics, fundraising, and women in tech. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Bethany Ayres. Thank you very much, Janice. I'm so excited to join today. I have wanted to get you on the podcast from the time that I saw you on the panel at Outreach. I love your humor and I I, I love your experience as well. So I'm really grateful that you managed to spare the time. The first thing I'd like to launch into is the vision at Peak AI to put decision intelligence in the hands of every business. Well, what does that mean practically in what you do and how you deliver it to your customers? What we do at Peak is, if you take a step back, there is Fang, so Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, who own so much of the world and have been on the forefront of using machine learning and AI. And they are massively succeeding because of that. And yet there are so many other businesses that are going to need to also come on that journey that don't have the technological skills, don't have the data science skills, and maybe don't have the experience of how do you actually get anything into production? There's a Gartner research that says that 95% of AI projects fail. And a lot of that is down to people. So the vision at peak is to enable all businesses to become AI-driven businesses and not be left behind. And on top of that, it's not just around AI for the sake of AI. What we really believe in is decision intelligence, which is the commercial application of AI. So we start working with customers with the outcome in mind. What is it that you need to do for your business? What data do you have? And then how can you deliver the solutions? And all of that is powered on a platform that we've built that enables customers to get all of their data in and AI ready easily, work on and create the models and then easily push them into production. So they don't need to worry about having those data engineering skills. They can really focus on how to use data and how to apply it to their commercial problems. Interesting. So. 
what's your background? How did you get into to this? Because as you say, for many companies, AI is relatively new, but you being at the forefront of it, it'd be interesting to find out more about how that happened. My own personal journey is I'm not a data scientist. <laughs> I'm not a statistician. Um, I do I'm I do love data um, and quite analytical. I've always really looked at using data to help inform decisions and have been interested in what was possible with machine learning and modeling um, from my sales ops days. When I met Peak and first started looking at the company, I was very excited about the idea of just getting to understand data more and how to be smart around that application. Um, and that's what started me at Peak. And then it's just great to help others along that journey as well. Um, and it was actually, it was a really interesting Linda Hill, are you familiar with her at all? She's a scholar at Harvard uh, Business School. And she's written an article recently about the politics of information and specifically data. And it's something I'd never thought about. And so I'm also really thinking about it in my own business at peak um, and also helping customers with is the power dynamics behind who has the data and bringing people along on that journey, making sure everybody is data informed rather than data driven and data literate. And so I think that's something that's important for everybody in technology and in business today to start to really understand what data can do for us. Gosh, that's really interesting because it set my mind thinking I might go down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> Almost reminds me of being aware of bias and how much bias there is in data, in stats, just in the way we operate and how the media in particular can direct people in a way that is contrary to what, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole in, you know, the use of data and bias. And, you know, I think that might be another podcast, but it is fascinating. It is really fascinating. And it's about, you think of Elon Musk, who has the power, you know, if you control these things, then, then you know, you have the power to control people and nations and money flow and everything. Ooh. Yes. So that I is a woo-woo. Yeah. And we definitely, I think everybody needs to work on becoming more data literate so that you understand where the power is. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm going to dig out that article and uh, have a read of that. But yeah, that is fascinating. Stressfully worrying as well. <laughs> as if we don't have enough things to worry about. All right. I'm going to be talking uh, about your yogi you teach you were teaching yogi yoga during the pandemic that's amazing I'm not well so I guess I just because I'm a woman and I need to like make sure that everybody understands all of my faults as much as all of my strengths as my defaults <laughs> I'm not a certified yoga teacher but what I have done is I had a very long journey with yoga um on and off from a lot of my life. And then my mother was diagnosed with motor neuron disease in 2016, 2015. Um, and it just coincided with me leaving my previous job. And so I had some time and ended up using yoga. We had a lovely studio near me as a sanity moment. So I was doing yoga 
five to seven times a week through that process discovered this most amazing teacher. And she was teaching, it was called Hatha yoga, but it was not unlike any yoga I'd ever done before. And I've ended up working with her one-on-one for four years now, has given me the confidence to also start teaching at peak. I just love it so much. So it's one of those things, if anybody is motivated after hearing this to learn more, please get in touch. What we focus on is body first position and the way it looks a distant, distant second. And so it's so massively empowering because you're just taking time to check in with yourself and just do the things you like to do, which is such a lovely metaphor for the rest of life. And through this process, I have discovered so many things that I want to do and don't want to do, not just on the yoga mat, but in life. Um, And it's been immensely empowering. And I just wish more people could experience it because it's been absolutely transformational for me. And I'm very grateful that Pete gave me the opportunity to have a class during COVID. And now it's carried on post-COVID where I am sharing this journey with others. And it's amazing to watch it unfold with everybody. I meditate in the morning and I've been doing yoga for about the last 30 days but every time I've any time I fall off the wagon you know changing circumstances with meditation I'm a different person and I think it's wonderful that you gave your colleagues the gift of that in all of the stress that was going on in that time to actually find the space <laughs> and the clarity and then you know if they chose to want to to go on to to maintain and grow that space and clarity is is wonderful we I've just come back from from Turkey and it's only really when I go away on holiday that I create space again. <laughs> and we're so rush, rush going from one thing. I don't have time to just think, just see where my mind wanders, really. So and I think it is a real it is a real gift and it is life changing. So I think it's wonderful that, you know, that's what, what you did. Um, at peak really I'm sure it made a massive difference as you've said it's made a difference to your life yeah it really has yeah yeah Yeah. I'm after this I'm going to get the name of the your your yoga uh teacher as well because you know I think it's it's great so um let's talk a little bit about uh, (laughs) the podcast and sales see I get (laughs) I'm so interested in you and it's interesting what you said about sellers understanding customers and also uh, agreeing to the level of experience needed to not only maintain but to grow that relationship so tell me more about that what we're talking about is companies are so often fixated on surprising and delighting customers and worrying about that like last one percent but my experience both serving customers and being a customer is don't care about that most of the time and customers don't they just want things to be easy and so they want to be able to be sold to easily have their questions answered in the order that they need them they need terms that are easy they need pricing that's easy to understand that is really hard to do because you have to negotiate with lawyers who want to put in all of the risk you have to negotiate with the finance team who want to do massive credit checks before a customer gets started you have to negotiate with the product team in terms of how the demos are and get closer to customers and then you also sometimes have to just 
listen to what customers are saying and adjust your sales process to match their needs. But if you get that right, selling becomes a lot easier because you're guiding people through somewhere they naturally want to go and engage with you in a natural way. And I very much see that as you're doing all of the work to clear the path for them, and it's a path they want to go on, but they, they can't always see the destination, they can't always see the pitfalls and the risks, but all you're doing is you just keep clearing that, that path for them and taking on the load for them. Exactly, and also doing it when you think about what value are you providing each step of the way, <clears throat> rather than like just taking, but like making sure there are aha moments, making sure that there's ways of being easy, making sure they have the tools that they need to sell internally, because often you have one person who has to then go and remember everything you've said and explain to everybody else why they should buy it. And so the more you can arm that person with simple messages and tools they can share, the easier their job is internally. I um, spoke, I think about a month ago, and it was like creating friction and selling process and the word ease, easy, constantly using that well that is the, the job of the salesperson to make make the job of the buyer easy and how can you do that in your organization and you need to pick apart all of your processes all of your communication and then that's the filter that you should be using how easy is this to understand how easy is this for our customers to navigate as as well so i'm completely aligned to to what you're saying i think it's fabulous so let me ask you about enabling buyers to buy filling those gaps understanding and identifying the the, the gaps tell me more about that so which gaps do you mean the gaps in the selling process or the gaps in the buyer's understanding the, the gaps uh, yeah well the, <laughs> i didn't think about the second one actually the gaps in in the selling um process but actually then that's going to create gaps in in the the buying process isn't it really yes yeah what you're looking at is thinking about what it is that a buyer needs to understand and where they need to go to fill those gaps internally um, and then like first in their own brains, what's the problem that I need solving? How do I quantify how big that problem is? How am I going to solve it? And then once I'm clear and really understand it, how am I going to get buy-in from other people? Kind of all the sell, all the buyer cares about and therefore what you need to do as a seller. If you're in a non-competitive situation, so if it's like, oh, I've never heard of this before. Awesome. This is what I need. If you're in a competitive situation, the next piece, which I know can be immensely frustrating for buyers, is understanding pricing. Because yeah. everybody prices differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, how could I compare apples and oranges? None of it makes sense. If it's somewhere where it's like all per seat, it makes sense. But oftentimes the new technology, nobody's quite figured out the right way to price yet. And so everybody's gone to do their own. And so part of your job as a seller is really to even unpick all help them unpick all of the different proposals they've had and be able to compare like for like um that is a a point of friction i've definitely seen in my career and again as a buyer have experienced or i'm just like i can't build a business case here because everybody's entirely different and the salesperson who can listen and understand and unpick that ends up winning the deal yeah, quite often because they're the listener and i was talking about this earlier today actually communication a great part of communication is about actively listening 
and really picking up on the nuances and those clues really, um, which salespeople aren't always great at. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the best salespeople are, but a lot of times people get into sales because they're like, oh, I have the gift of the gab. I'm quite charismatic. That's all that required, that's required in sales. And I think you quite quickly realize that you need more than that yeah. for any level of complex selling. Yeah. So um, talking about salespeople and how things are progressed, I'd really love to understand your perspective in terms of diversity and whether, you know, things have progressed and, you know, whether we've got further to go and what's your, your views? I think we have loads, loads more to go. Uh, and I will name and shame for like this moment. I was at a Salesforce dinner last night. There were less than 20 people in the room and two of us were women. One was a Salesforce AE and the other one was me. And the rest of the room were customers and Salesforce senior leaders. And everybody was a man and bar one person, everybody was white. I just was like, how can this still be? It doesn't happen often, but when it gets to senior level dinners, so I was at a Gainsight dinner, um, kind of in that middle bit of COVID when you were allowed to go out again. And that was all senior customer success people. And again, I was the only woman in the room. And if you look at customer success teams, yeah, predominantly women. And as soon as it becomes senior, all the men show up. Yeah, we have a huge way to go. Like, I'm, I'm grateful that that's the exception. And in most rooms, we're not 50-50, but I'm not like I can count the number of women on one hand. Mm-hmm. Um, what is still immensely frustrating is walking into rooms and being able to count the non-white faces on one hand or not at all, which I, it's just clearly going to take a lot longer. But I absolutely believe is my role as a, as a senior person is to make that change, create that space. And for me, diversity and inclusion isn't because it improves the bottom line and it would make sure that Apple released a period tracker on their phone when it first started like those are the reasons everybody gives for me it's more than that it's like part of it is just fairness like it seems immensely unfair that certain people have huge advantages over other people like why is that um and also the world is just really boring when it's centered around one tiny sliver of the human experience uh there's an amazing world out there and we other almost all of it instead of embracing and understanding and questioning and living the full human experience. And that will all be richer for walking into rooms that aren't just all white men. Very beautifully put and obviously (laughs) (laughs) agree with you. Do you think there's a difference in the the Z and Y generations? Do you think there's a different attitude that's coming in? Because as we've seen over the last 10, 20 years, you know, things are remarkably slow with companies. So do you think the younger generations, something's going to change? Do we have hope? You have hope. I I think... My experience is that the millennials, as a woman in sales, it's palpably changed from 20 years ago, where not only was I the only woman in the room, but like rampant sexual harassment or inappropriateness. 
it was everywhere in 2000 and it was accepted, whereas now it's not. And I think that's down to the millennials who are like, yeah, that's let, let's not take our clients to strip clubs anymore. That's just not not done. And it's lovely to see both the professionalization of sales and removing a lot of the misogyny that was there. But I didn't really see much change in terms of race. Whereas with Gen Z, is that the most, that's, yeah, the next generation down. They're young and you don't know, but it seems to be green shoots of talking about these things. They haven't been raised in the color blindness that millennials and Gen X were they're raising these issues and it's all about needing the dialogue before you can make the change. And it, and I love the fact that they're pushing for that. We need to get more of them in power. <laughs> That's always a, the concern is like who actually goes into politics because that will be some of the change, but at least in terms of like consumer behavior and social behavior, I would like to believe that there is change yeah. on the horizon. Well, we'll leave it with there is hope. <laughs> okay, so what tried and tested strategy would you offer listeners in order to scale their sales? Yeah, so I think there's two different pockets, and I answer both. One is if you're moving from founder-led sales to proper selling with salespeople, is you need to find either salespeople who have the nose for a quite a bit of go-to-market nows, or you need to find somebody who can be that translator between why the sale, why the founders are successful salespeople and help make the first sellers successful. So like bottle up what it is and that 10,000 hours of experience they have and short circuit it to others. If you've already cracked that bit and are looking to grow the rest of your sales organization, the unlock our sales managers and really building out, enabling, empowering, and replicating sales management. And if you get that layer right, then it can just cascade down. So it depends on your stage. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting, your perspective and the importance of, of sales managers, because that's an area that's often overlooked. So you have the sales leaders and, you know, you have your sales team, but actually it's the managers that are the blocks, you know, and they don't have the skills and, you know, they just move up from sales and they've been given no, no management skills. They don't know how, how to coach. And they're, you know, they're just, if they were successful salespeople, they're expecting everyone else to do what they did. And that's, you know, move on it doesn't necessarily so I think it's a really interesting perspective of how pivotal getting your sales management level right it goes both for sales management and all managers really but for sales it yeah you just can't do it without having that supporting layers yeah so is that down to the sales leader that gives that is it down to the recruitment what do you think the key things if you're moving in that that direction that's going to make the difference so definitely sales leader who can understand how to be a leader of leaders which is a different skill than just being a leader and then it comes back to either using like an enablement person or a strategic go-to-market type person to I guess probably more enablement to like teach the skills that are needed so that they can can learn how to manage effectively. And also, again, the reason why I was talking about maybe that strategic go-to-market person again is quite often, as you said, 
sales managers are promoted because they're the successful salespeople, but much like founders, they have no idea why they're successful. <laughs> and so part of it is teasing out what it is that they're doing, explaining to them what they're doing so they can then explain it to other people. Excellent. All right. So who is your hero or shero? So my, I guess, Shiro is uh, Rita Moreno, who I'm like in the UK audience isn't as well known as in America. She was Anita in the original West Side Story, just to give you like possibly an idea. Um, and then if, on Netflix recently, she was on One Day at a Time, the reboot. Mm -hmm. uh, she's 91 on the reboot One Day at a Time. She was playing somebody who was 71. My son, my very cynical 14-year-old son, I said, guess how old she is? He's like, oh, she's really old. 60? I was like, yep, <laughs> 30 years older. She's dancing. She's doing yoga. She cares about how she looks. She's sexy. She has a boyfriend. He's 40 years younger. And she's just vibrant and and that's her character, but in real life, she is like she has to be able to dance and do yoga at 90 and have that flexibility and agility and sharpness of mind. So I would just love to still be a complete woman for as long as possible, like you know, not shuffling off to be ignored, but to be there, be vibrant, maximize my life for as long as I'm able to be on it I have no intention of retiring and no intention of going gently <laughs> yeah. yeah you're not going gently into the night no, I not. had to look her up and I thought wow this woman is amazing and uh yeah I absolutely thank you for introducing me to her because yeah I you know I don't want to often women they apologize they say sorry a lot and I often say, you know, ask, don't ask permission, you know, ask forgiveness, just do everything as you say in, in, um, when you were talking about yoga as well, you've got to be, have the courage just to go for it and be yourself and some of the people's problems if they don't like it <laughs> it's not your problem it's other people's problems and not take that on board so I, I I really love her spirit and I really love that you've introduced that to me so everyone's got to go and look at this incredible woman and yeah I it helps you to have a role model of what is possible by having that at 91. Um, so yeah, thank you for introducing that. So how can listeners get hold of you? The easiest is LinkedIn, but don't just link in, give me a little note to say why you're linking in, because as you can imagine, I get a lot every day. Um, but if you explain and reference the podcast, I'll definitely accept. I'm on Instagram, but I'm not really. So I think LinkedIn is really where you should go. Thank you for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast, Beth Ez. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Oh, thank you so much, Janice. It's been a pleasure. I've really been looking forward to it. And it was as lovely as I was expecting. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. 
I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.